Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H brighton.org. Thank you, Kyle, and good morning, church. I'm a little under the weather today, um, and so be praying for my my family, my kids, but uh, church, I really want to thank you for your partnership with the Foster Box. Uh, usually, uh, every month our church brings in about $14,000 for the care of our church and our ministry in the community, and you guys almost doubled that in December. We asked and prayed that you guys would dig deeper, and would you guys give more in that month, and you did. And we're able to write that check this week with a matching gift of $5,000 to help those families and those ministries of little ones. And guys, it's a big deal. And so thank you for, Eddie? Yes. Oh my goodness. Hey, bud. It's so good to see you. Dude, I'm sorry, man. It's great to see you, bud. I'll give you a hug after. Do what? Your hair looks great, man. We'll connect after service together. It's really good to see you, buddy. I met Eddie right when I moved to the city. Are you still at BC? Congrats, man. Okay. Well, yeah, Eddie, you give a round of applause. Yeah. Eddie, I love you, man. It's great to see you. Uh, back when I was a college director at the uh, City on a Hill, Brookline, I met Eddie when you were a freshman, man. Man, look at us both growing up all over here. I'm sorry. I lost focus there. Um, <laughs> um, I think I finished the care campaign thing, but thank you guys for giving. That's a, that's a really big deal. Um, so as we start into today's message, I was thinking about um, today's emphasis, which is God's covenant that he commits to us. He, he commits himself, his very self to us. And I was thinking, uh, I was laid up in the uh, bed. I wasn't feeling well. I had Shasera in the room and she was on a cot and we were just watching a lot of television, just trying to feel better. And all of us are sick in the house. And so Kiana knocks on the door and she's like, daddy, can I talk with you? So I'm like, yeah, let me put a mask on. Shasera gets a mask on. She comes in the room and she's like, Daddy, I need to talk to you. I'm like, it's a, I'm like, okay. She's like, Daddy, listen, you've been having a lot of screen time today. <laughs> been watching a lot of TV and you know what that's gonna do? It's gonna hurt your eyes. So Daddy, without whining or complaining, <laughs> I need you at some point to take a rest from that. And if you don't, you're gonna go to timeout. <laughs> <laughs> and so clearly she's heard this before in her own life. But what she's doing in that moment is she's what? She's mirroring what's been told or done to her. And that's what we see today in Abram's life. We see today that God's covenant with Abram is a mirror of God's commitment to us. And when Abram gets how deeply God is committed to him, then Abram starts being better committed to God and others. Does that make sense? And for you, Christian, I want us to mirror God's love for us and his commitment to us to others. And when you get that, just like Kiana got that, then we can mirror that. So that's the point of today's message. I just have one point for you. I know I had one last week. I'm still getting back in the swing of things. But that's the point of today's message. God's covenant with Abram mirrors his commitment to you. So guys, now the idea of God's covenant commitment to us is really a beautiful truth. And it's one that we're going to spend some time unpacking today. But if we're really honest, guys, many of us struggle with the idea of us committing, like really genuinely formally 
to God and others. Like some of us in the room, and I'm not trying to call you out specifically, but some of us, we really don't like to formally commit to things because your life is already feeling busy and burdened and you're tired from the commitments that you already have in life, like your job, your family, relationship, school, you name it, right? So we don't like to formally commit to things because why? You don't want the added expectations or responsibilities on top of your already difficult life. So what would we rather do? We'd rather freelance our commitments, right? We want to commit to a few things here and there, but never really fully commit. Others of us, however, are plagued with this idea that there might be a better option out there, so we struggle to commit to things right here. And so if that's you, you probably wrestle with questions like this. Well, maybe there's a better job out there that pays better, so maybe I should start looking for jobs there, and you're always searching for a new job. Or maybe you're like, well, maybe if I move to that city, I'd be happier, or that suburb, and I would have a more comfortable life. Or maybe if I picked a different school program and not this PhD program, I'd have a happier life. Or maybe if I dated this person or actually married a different person instead, maybe my life would be better. Maybe if I hadn't had this kid or fostered that kid or adopted this kid, maybe my life wouldn't be so challenging. It's because of all of those what-ifs and others like it that makes commitment increasingly hard for us. Because commitment brings challenge. And at our core, guys, we want to be happy. And we don't want to commit ourselves to things that won't make us happy. So we commit to things less and less and less the older and older we get. Even as Christians, let's be real honest for a moment. Take off all the happy fake mask tags. Even as Christians, this is why you and I struggle to fully commit day to day in our relationship with God. Because here's what we think. We think, God, if I really pray, do whatever you want with my life, then you're afraid God's going to call you out of your comfort zone. And so you don't want to pray that. You're like, I like my life, kind of. But if I like really give all my decisions over to you and I pray, God, may your will be done in my life, then you might make it hard. And so we never really fully commit day to day to God. Is anybody just honest? Like, are you like ready today to pray like, God, do whatever you want with my life. May your will be mine, no matter the cost. Is anybody like ready to pray that? No, that's scary, right? That's what I'm getting to. We struggle with fully committing to God because we love our comfort zones. Well, here's what we often try to do. We try to minimize our commitment level in order to maximize our comfort level. And in today's narrative, we actually see God deal with these spiritual commitment issues that all of us, including me, have. Issues like fear and distrust, as well as comfort and unmet expectations are all dealt with in this passage. And what's really beautiful, guys, about today's narrative is that God fully commits himself to Abram anyway. And it's actually that commitment to Abram that actually frees Abram to eventually get rid of his fear and distrust and actually helps Abram commit. When you see how God commits himself to you, then you actually trust him to commit yourself to him and others. Does that make sense? That's what we're going to unpack today. The same thing that happens for Abram, I hope happens for you in today's text. 
By the way, if you're really annoyed with my voice, so am I. I'm like tired of hearing it. So I might take a few moments and get a sip of water and then you guys can just look at Eddie's really cool hair. Eddie, it's so good to see you, but I hope it didn't embarrass you. I'm sure I embarrassed you more when you were a freshman, but here we are. <laughs> I love you, buddy. First one, here's how the passage starts, and I really love it. Um, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, again, I love the way this starts, guys. God comes to Abram after the events that took place in last week's passage. Because remember, we're walking through Genesis verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we've journeyed from one all the way to 15 this week. And if you remember last week, Abram's probably feeling some fear because of the events that just happened after these things. Remember last week, guys, there was an epic war, right? Between nine kings. Five kings on one side, four kings on another side. And Abram gets 318 men to go and rescue his nephew Lot that was taken up as a captive in this war between the kings. He goes with these men in the middle of the night, does a night raid and rescues his nephew, comes back from war and he saves the day. Now you can imagine for a moment why Abram might have fear. Because what if word gets out to the other cities that Abram's got this little homegrown army of 318 men who can whoop up on some of the world's mightiest kings and their armies. And so others might be concerned that Abram would do the same thing to them in some sort of night raid. So they want to get ahead of the game. And so they might come after Abram to just wipe him out before he can wipe them out. So I can imagine that maybe that's why Abram's afraid because God visits him in a vision says, fear not. And you don't tell someone to fear not unless you got fear. The word comes to him, fear not. So verse one tells us that Abram is actually back to experiencing fear again in his life. It's a common theme. And if you struggle with fear and anxiousness, Abram's a really good character to sort of study and look at and how God deals with him. It's really, really comforting. It is for me. So Abram is back to experiencing fear again, the same type of fear that he struggled with when he was in Egypt in chapter 12, remember when he gave up his wife in order to save his life, the fear that led him there, he's back there again. And so what's happening here again is what we looked at last week. Abram has again what? Forgotten God's promises to him. Remember, God told him, you're gonna live long enough to have offspring. You're gonna have a ton of offspring. Remember that Mufasa moment? Everything the light touches will be yours, right? It may sound a little bit better this week. I don't know. We'll say I'm working on it. And so he forgets that. Everything the light touches is going to be yours. All this land, all this offspring. And Abram's like, oh no, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to get conquered by these kings. He forgets the promise of God. And just like we learned last week, when church, when you forget the promises of God, you forego the peace of God in your heart, in your life. And that's exactly what happens to Abram. He's afraid. He's forgotten, so he foregoes the peace of God in his heart and mind. But here's what I love about God. God knowing Abram is afraid. He doesn't say, Abram, get it together. How many times do I got to tell you, bro? I got these promises, get it together. Like sometimes I might tell my kids, 
You might tell your spouse when they struggle to remember. But how does God treat us? God comes to us in our fear and our forgetfulness. And he comforts us and he reminds him again and again and again of his promises. He says, fear not, Abram. Why? For what? I am your shield. Think about a shield for a moment. It surrounds a soldier. It protects a soldier. It allows a soldier to progress in the middle of hardships. So what God is saying is that I am with you, Abram. I am surrounding you, Abram. Nothing from others on the outside can harm you and nothing you do on the inside can harm you. Nothing can stop my promises from happening in your life. I am committed to you. Guys, if you want to write down a little helpful quote for you this morning, it's just this. It's not the absence of your problems, but the presence of your God that makes all the difference. Not the absence of your problems, but the presence of your God that makes all the difference. So if you are fearful this morning, you're anxious about your future, your family planning, you're worried about an upcoming marriage, you're struggling with your current marriage, you don't know what to do with your finances, your kids are a nightmare right now in your life and it's hard, you've got all this fear and worry, what's happening next in my life? Would you be reminded that God is your shield surrounding you, protecting you, ensuring this promises will happen and he's moving you through your circumstances. It's not the absence of your problems that you need in your life. It's a reminder of the presence of God. Does that make sense, Christian? That's the same thing he told Abram is the same thing for you. Verse two, and we gotta move a little bit faster through the passage. Verse two, but Abram said, so here's this kind of come back to God. Oh Lord God, what reward will you give me? Because remember, God said, your reward will be great. He's like, but what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house, Eleazar of Damascus, is going to take over. And he's like not happy with that. The way he like says that makes it seem like, like Eleazar is like the unathletic kid that gets picked last on the dodgeball team, but he's like kicking for you first. That's how he speaks to him. He's like, you won't give me this child. And the heir of my house is Eleazar, that, that kid. Verse three, and Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, God, and a member of my household, he's gonna be my heir. Do you see what's going on here? Abram's struggling with God's timing. He looks at God's promise, but there's a gap from its fulfillment. And struggle, Christian, is that not what you and I struggle with? God's given you a promise in his scripture about his love, protection, provision, that all things are going to work out for your good. But you're in the middle of chaos in your life, in your marriage, in your heart. And you're like, God, what's going to happen here? You promised this, but I don't see the payoff. And that's often where we live sometimes, Christians. God gives a promise, but you haven't seen the payoff. And what do you do? You trust the process. You trust the process that God is doing something for your good, even if you can't see it. So Christian, again, if you are in between the promise and the payoff, trust God, the promise keeper. Trust the process of what God's doing. And that's exactly what's happening. Abram's responding here with confusion. He's like, God, I don't understand. You promised I'd be a great nation. I'd have a massive family, but I have no offspring. And this Yehu Eliezer is gonna take all my stuff. And I want a son. I wanna see this promise happen. 
Abram has doubts. He's not sure if he can really trust God's heart. Does anybody struggle with that? Man, I know that in my own marriage, we struggle with that in my own family. Maybe you're in the room and you have a hard time trusting your husband. And maybe you have a hard time trusting the leadership of our church. You have a hard time trusting whether God's really going to be faithful in your life. And so sometimes God calls us to submit to a leadership, or sometimes God calls us to be bold in a leadership. And sometimes we've got to trust God in that, and we have a hard time trusting. But what God's doing in this passage is he is saying, bring your doubts, bring your struggles. I already know you have fear. Bring them to God and let him comfort you. Let him bring truth to where you are. Guys, many of us have been that place where we doubt the goodness of God because of the circumstances in our life. And this is a precious reminder that we can take those doubts and you don't bring them to Google. You don't bring them to Netflix when you're panicked. You don't scroll through social media to deal with them. When you're doubting God's goodness, you don't look at the circumstances of your life to determine if he's good. You look towards eternity. And you say, that's how I know God is good. Because look at what he did for my eternal life, not in this temporal moment of my life. Does that make sense? And Abram will get there. Well, how does God respond to Abram saying, I can't trust you, shield. I don't got no kids. Here's what he says, verse four. And behold, the word of the Lord comes to him again. Just by the way, Christian, this is what you need when you doubt. You need the word of the Lord. You need the word of the Lord to anchor you in. When you are struggling with your thoughts, when you are angry, you're bitter, you're confused, your spouse is wearing you out, you don't know what to do next, let the word of the Lord come to you. Happen in verse one, happens again in verse four. Christian, we are people of the book. Let it anchor you, let it root you, let it speak the truth to you and guide you where you need to go. Verse four, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And listen, God's response is so gentle and gracious here. It says, this man, Eleazar, the unathletic kid on your team, he's not gonna be your heir. You will have a very own son and he will be your heir. Verse five, and then I love the Lion King again. There's Mufasa moment, part two. Happens here just like we saw last week. God brought Abram outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you are even able to number them all. And then he said to them, just like the stars, so shall your offspring be many. So how does God respond to Abram's doubts? Again, he doesn't yell at him saying, how many times do I have to tell you? which is what we do with our kids and our spouse. No, God is gracious to him. God reassures him gently. God reminded him of a promise, a son. And then he takes him outside and promised that his children would be as plentiful as the stars in the sky. And so what in the world does this have to teach us about a covenant committing God and how does that change us? Well, guys, it teaches us yet again that God is faithful to you, Christian, even when you are unfaithful to him. Even when you doubt, even when you're angry, even when you're resistant, even when you stop believing the promises, God will never stop trying to fulfill that promise in your life. And he ultimately will. God is faithful even when we are unfaithful to him. That even when your failure to remember and rely on his promises, 
He will always fulfill his promises to you. Because I think there's one more thing to glean here. And for me, it's a little bit more personal and I want to want to point it out. We learn here that God is faithful to bring about our greatest good, even when it doesn't feel like it. I think there's something to learn about here. That God is faithful to bring about your greatest good, even when it doesn't feel like it. Now, this is going to be hard to hear and a hard thing for us to grasp as Christians, but I want you to hear me. Stay with me. Church, sometimes God will withhold something in your life in order to hold out something that's better for your life. God will withhold something lesser in order to give you something greater. Abram wanted earthly kids, but God wanted to give him an eternal kingdom. In that moment, God withheld a son in order that he could hold out salvation. God withheld something lesser in air in that moment in order to give him something greater, heaven. And that's exactly what we see here in the next verse. Look at it, verse six. And Abram believed what the Lord had said about your offspring being as numerous as stars in the sky. And it's with that belief, the verse says, that God counted that faith as righteousness, as righteousness. God withheld something lesser for something greater for Abram. God gave Abram a gift called righteousness, which just means it's a right standing you have with God. It means that you are forgiven of all your sins and that God imputes to you his record of perfection. So he sees you as innocent, but he also sees you as perfect. And so God withholds a son in that moment from Abram so God can give him salvation, something greater. And that's what God may be doing in your life. God may have not allowed you to get into that school that you actually wanted to get into or that program. He held back something lesser so he could give you something greater. That relationship with that boy or girl didn't work out like you hoped it would. But God often lets that happen because he's preserving you for something greater, something better. Guys, if we would look back at all of our life just for a moment, are you glad that some things just didn't work out for you? Like I wanted to marry my middle school sweetheart. That wouldn't have been very good. Won't share why, but just wouldn't be very good. There's numerous things I'm so glad didn't work out. Just a quick moment on this. Um, I remember this so, so clearly. Um, it was an opportunity at the time when I was in college uh, there was two internships uh, in a church that I was uh, pursuing. Uh, one church that ended up being wildly um, incorrect in their beliefs and went chaos in this direction. And then one church that kept on continually being in a great direction. I got accepted uh, by both of them for the internship. And both of the time, they were wonderful, strong, great churches. And I was just like, okay, which one do I do the internship with? And I was like, mm, I prayed about it. And I was like, okay, I'll just pick this one. And it was through that uh, church that I met Emily. I finished up my seminary degree. I was called to be a pastor. That church sent us on mission up here to Boston. I uh, have some of my greatest friends that are here in Boston with me that moved from that church. And it was all this, this little decision that was made when I was 19, 
20 years old. And I just think that God, God withheld what seemed to me on one surface, one church was a lot bigger and there was a lot more flair and excitement. But in my heart, God withheld this one thing for something greater. And I think that's what God is doing with Abram. I'm not going to give you this kid right now so that your heart is really more aimed at me and what you really believe will give you satisfaction. And through there, I point you to salvation. And I think that's what God does. And for some of us, if you've been a Christian for a while, you felt closest to God when? When you're at rock bottom. When things got hardest, God met you there, right? When you had no one else to turn to, you realized you had everything you needed in him. And that's what sometimes God will do. He will allow hardship or he won't give you what you wanted in order to give you something that you absolutely needed. Lost our place a little bit. You guys are doing great hanging with me. Okay, so what did this covenant keeping, making God do for Abram? Just like you, Christian, he sought you out. He sought out Abram and his wife and he gave them this promise of a son. But if you remember Abram's story, Abram's like 90 plus years old with his wife and this God of thunderstorms that Abraham used to worship back in his previous land, the land of Chaldeans, couldn't help him make a baby that he often prayed to. But God often withheld this promised son so that God could bring Abram as an adoptive son into his family by faith. And that's what righteousness is all about. And this is our God. He pursues us even when we're far from him and he commits himself to us. So Christian, listen, if you ever feel that God is holding back something from you, listen, he might be. He's holding something back from you in order to hold something out for you. Singles, listen to that. Marrieds without kids, listen to that. Those who are struggling with life circumstances, listen to that. God may be holding something back from you in order to better hold something out for you. I don't know what it is. You're not being punished because of that. But you might be protected for something else, preserved for something else. Would you hold on to that truth and let that comfort your heart? What I love about this is the question, how did Abram actually earn this favor? Did Abram do anything in order to get this righteousness of God? Abram didn't do anything. He just simply believed and trusted God and God gave him righteousness. And this is how God defines a relationship. He gives righteousness and favor to any who believe in him. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right before God and be forgiven. It's only by faith in what Jesus has done to die for you on the cross. He believed the Lord and it counted him as righteousness. God forgave his sin. God gave him a perfect morality record. And God made him right with him by belief. In fact, this verse actually makes a cameo later in the New Testament in the book of Romans. Let me read it to you. Romans 4, Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, which he wasn't, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but it's due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, 
who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Church, the only way to heaven, the only way to salvation, the only way to deal with your sin is by faith alone, in Christ alone, on the cross alone. There is no good deed, no amount of money you can give, no amount of voting you can happen. Doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you are, there's no amount of activism you can do. There's no religious work you can do, church, that can bring you into a right relationship with God. It's your faith alone, your trust alone. You are saved by grace through faith. Christian, you know how I know that we struggle with this? We struggle with this, Christian, because some of us, we feel like God's happier with you when you do all the right things. And you feel like God is just angry and ready to give up on you when you do all the wrong things. When you do bad, you feel like God doesn't love you. When you do great, you feel like God should love you. Your relationship with God is still trying to be measured on what you do. Guys, one of my favorite pastors, J.D. Greer, says there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing that you have done to make God love you less. His love for you is infinite, always unconditional, pouring out, overflowing for you. This is what it means to have the righteousness of God. So then God does something in this last part of the narrative here, and it gets wild. So if you're struggling to stay awake, which none of you really are, you guys are doing great, you're about to get a pretty good scene here. God confirms this commitment sort of with like a ring. There's like a covenant ceremony that happens. God gave a promise, and he's like, I'm going to put a ring on it. I'm going to have a ceremony. I'm going to give you a symbol so that you can remember that I gave you this promise. It's like a wedding ceremony, but it's a lot more wild. Verse nine. So God said to Abram, Abram, bring me a heifer, which is a young female cow that's about three years old. Bring me a female goat that's three years old. Bring me a ram that's three years old. Bring me a turtle dove, a young pigeon, and a partridge in a pear tree. That's a bad joke. And he brought out all these things, cut them in half, and then he laid them over on each other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. Now that's really intense ceremony, right? If you have been ever at a wedding and they're doing sacrifices, just leave. Just write them a note saying, glad you married, just, just get out when there's blood everywhere like that. Not a good place for you to be, okay? It's really intense, and our question is, what is going on here, okay? First thing to notice here is that God doesn't give Abram much detail. He's just like, go get these animals on a farm. Bring them to me. He says, bring these enemies, bring these animals. And it's interesting, what does Abram do? He just starts chopping them in half and laying them out. And that's odd, right? Because God didn't say that. And what's interesting is that Abram clearly knew exactly what God was asking him to do. It was obvious given the context that this moment, God was initiating a covenant ceremony. Now, listen, if God told me to go get these animals, I'd have no idea what to do or even where to get them. To us, this is bizarre, but this was a normal way to make an agreement in those days. So here's how the covenant ceremony worked. You'd take these animals and you'd split them in half down the middle. And then you'd put their bodies up as an aisle. Like bodies on this side, bodies on this side, and you'd create an aisle. Then both parties would walk through the bloody aisle, as if to say this, this is key, as if to say, 
if I forsake my promise, may what happened to these animals happen to me. That's key. It was like a little play that they would perform to seal the covenant. It's like a ring to seal a marriage. This was the Old Testament way of signing covenant contracts. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm grateful we don't sign contracts like this anymore. But for Boston, might not be a bad idea because the rent costs would maybe go down because we'd have different competition. Maybe just a suggestion for the city. Totally kidding. Don't put that out there, okay? Now, just a note here. In certain situations during those days, if there was an inequality between power in the covenant, like if there was a king and a subject making a covenant, the weak party only, the weak party only would go through the carcass aisle. I know that's a really gross name, but that's what's going on. The weak party would go through the carcass aisle to give that person a painful reminder that, hey, bro, if you mess up this promise and don't keep your end, look at the animals because that's what's going to happen to you if you jack this up. And so a king would be like, walk through the middle. Be reminded, don't mess up. So because of this context, Abram is probably thinking, okay, God wants me to make a promise to him and I better hold it up. He's thinking he's going to walk through the carcass aisle so that he'll hold up in the end of the deal. Verse 11, and now when the birds of prey came down on the carcass, carcasses, Abraham drove them away. That's just a funny detail. Just imagine Abram in this awkward moment, like chasing after birds. I don't know why this details in the scriptures, but it's just a funny detail to let you know like, okay, this is really true. This is just an odd detail here. It's some comedic relief. And I think it's comedic relief because this next part is the most intense and it's filled with all sorts of Christ connection symbolism here. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Interesting. Where do we ever see a deep sleep? With Adam. When Adam is God's going to do something in his life, he puts Adam to sleep. When God is building a commitment and covenant with Adam, he puts Adam to sleep. He's going to put Abram to sleep. And then it says, behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And this is where the story takes a huge plot twist. There's a dreadful and dark a great darkness that falls on Abraham and the dude just falls asleep. Like, what is happening? In the middle of this covenant ceremony, he falls asleep. Husbands, on your wedding day, if you fall asleep, you got a jacked up life ahead of you. <laughs> Not going well for you. That's what happens with Abraham. Great darkness happens. Dude's tired. He's sleepy. The sun's gone. Dude falls asleep. Like, what in the world is happening? Well, this is by God's design. God then speaks his promise again, but this time it's different. God gives him a clear prophetic promise about Abram's future. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, Abram, that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years, but listen, but I will bring judgment on that nation. This is Egypt, we know this is going to happen in the future, that Moses is going to lead them out of this land. But God says, I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to bring the plagues on this nation. They're going to come out with great possessions, verse 15. As for you, you're eventually going to go to your fathers in peace. You should be buried in your good old age, and they shall come back here to this land I promised you in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17. 
Then when the sun had gone down and it was dark and behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through the pieces of animal. Now you might be like, bro, what are we doing here? Why is there a flaming fire pot, a flaming torch? What is going on here? Is like Abram high? Is he seeing things? What's going on? What we don't know in the English language is what's clear in the Hebrew language, which I'm not a great student of, but there's lots of great scholars that we can borrow from. The language for the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch are actually the same words used to describe God on the mountain of Sinai when the Ten Commandments are given. So we're actually learning here that it's actually God himself that is passing through the aisle alone. It's God making the covenant without Abram. This is insane. It's as if Abram, God is saying, Abram, I will be faithful to fulfill this prophetic promise. And if I don't, may my immortality become mortality. May what happened to these animals happen to me, God saying, if I am unfaithful to fulfill this promise. Verse 18, on that day, the Lord God made a covenant with Abram and he did it all by himself. Abram was asleep. Guys, what's really amazing about this isn't just who made the covenant, but who didn't make the covenant. God made it all by himself. He passed through the animals by himself. Abram didn't. It's as though God were saying, not only will I pay the penalty if I break the covenant, but I will pay the penalty if you break any covenant with me. Because listen, Abram, your faithfulness has nothing to do with my faithfulness to you. I will be faithful to you always and I'll prove it to you through a sacrifice. And guys, many years later, this scene would make so much more sense because God himself would indeed sacrifice himself for us. The Bible describes a scene where this promised offspring of Abram would be sacrificed in a similar way that we see in this passage. His body would be beaten and torn and cut. His skin would be torn in two. We would see a bloody, brutal scene on the cross where Jesus would be penalized for our sins so we could be brought back to God. On that day with Jesus, it would also be a day where terrible darkness would cover the sky and a dreadful darkness would cover over him. And in that moment, Jesus' death on the cross would be God fulfilling this very covenant that he made with Abram. This very covenant that was promised in Genesis 15, God would complete through Christ. God fulfilled his covenant to Abram, but he also, he also fulfilled it for you, Christian. Christian, he bore the penalty of all of your unfaithfulness. Non-Christian, he takes all of our sins all of our shortcomings, everything you feel guilty and embarrassed about, every law that God has said for us, for our good and put in place that we've fallen short of, he's died to forgive it of us so that the righteousness of God might be a gift to us just like it was to Abram. 
When we believe God, we become Abram's metaphorical offspring, the offspring that would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. God's children, his family of faith through Jesus. And church, it's by reflecting on God's commitment to us in Jesus that we are transformed to be a people that can be committed to God and others. Church, when you see just how committed God is, when you are unfaithful, it transforms your ability to be faithful to others. It strengthens your commitment to love God and to love others because of the way he loved you. God is unwavering in his commitment. And when we're reminded of that, our hearts are moved to be unwavering, to give others love because we have so much of it coming to us. Church, when you see how God is committed to bring about our greater good when it doesn't feel like it, when he's withholding what you want in order to give you something greater, it strengthens our commitment to trust him and follow him with all of your life. Because you know what that means? That means then you can pray, God, do whatever you want with my life. Do whatever you want because you may withhold things from me, but you're gonna give me something greater. So you can pray that today because you know, you know that God may withhold to hold out something better. This helps your commitment level to him because you can trust him better. You know that he's got your good intent at heart. God has fully committed himself to you, Christian. And you can trust him fully and you can commit every fear, every doubt, every worry to him. For just as verse one was true to Abram, it's true to you. The word of the Lord has come. He is your shield. For it's the presence of your God and not the absence of your problems that makes all the difference. And this is our covenant keeping God. Let's pray.